Good morning, church family. Good morning. Welcome back home. It's good to see you all. It's good to see your faces and to be gathered here to praise God and worship him. Um, what a joy. And, man, really excited about the things that are coming our way, as Joanne mentioned. Really looking forward to seeing uh, Jeremy, Angelica, and to meet Junia finally. For those of you who don't know, we sent out Jeremy, who was a pastor here at the Brook. We sent out this family, the Barahonas, um, to West Palm Beach, Florida to start a church. And so they've been working at that with another brother who came, went from the Brook named Mario Fernandez. And they left in August of last year. And they've been on the ground just trying to build relationships with a prayer and desire to launch a new church in West Palm Beach, Florida this upcoming fall. And so uh, we're thankful that they're going to be back in town, and we'll, we'll let them share a little bit about what's going on. And so I know we'll be encouraged being with them and to see them, so I'm glad for that. Also next week, uh, we are going to begin a new message series from a book of the Bible called The Song of Solomon. And this is a book of the Bible that talks about relationship, about romance, about intimacy, and about the fact that God cares. He cares about all of us and where we're at in life. And we are trusting him that through this series, he's going to be, uh, to be able to encourage us, to instruct us, and to be a blessing to each one of us. And so I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, today, we are going to end a series in the book of Haggai that we've been going through for the last couple of weeks. The book of Haggai is a tiny little book of the Bible, just two chapters long. In fact, I think it is the fifth smallest book of the Bible. It's tiny. But as we've seen the last several weeks, there's so much richness in this, in this message. So um, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm excited to wrap this thing up for you all and with you all this morning. Um, as we start on out, I know we've got Super Bowl coming up uh, this in just a few hours. And uh, there's a team with the color orange in the Super Bowl this year, but it's not our Bears. But um, it should be good. It's always fun to watch the Super Bowl. Whenever you get together at a party, like a Super Bowl party or another one, you've got your dinner plate and you're eating it and you're talking. You ever been to a party when you put down your plate, you walk away to get something to drink, you come back and your plate's gone? It's aggravating, isn't it? You're like, man, I wasn't finished yet. Right? And you're like, man, just ask me, right? Because I, I want to eat my food. And, and you feel like, like someone interrupted your meal because they decided for you that you were done eating. And like, man, I wasn't done eating. Don't take my plate. And so, like, I think about that and I think about how often in life we actually do the same thing with God. We see things in our own lives that maybe we've battled frustrations, disappointments. And we tend to think in our, in our minds that God is done with us. In some ways, we've taken the play out of God's hands and said, God, you're finished, right? And what we've seen in the book of Haggai is God's like, I'm not done. I'm not finished. Don't take my plate. I'm still doing things. I've got work to do. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is that God sends a clear message to people. Is that he's a God whose grace is greater than our sin, whose mercy is greater than our failures, and today, as we wrap up our series, we're going to see that he is a God of new beginnings. He is a God who can redo things when we have made a mess of it. And I know many of us come today and we look back over our lives and we can think of moments we've made messes of situations. And some of us feel like we've made messes of our very lives. And sometimes we feel like, man, I know God is good. I know God is love. But I have a hard time thinking God is good to me or love to me. I know God can work new beginnings for people, 
But I wonder if he could do that for me. And today we're going to see that God is a God who keeps his promises. And because of that, it's never too late to return to him. He's a God of new beginnings because he is a promise-keeping God. And in order to see that, we are going to jump into the final verses of the book of Haggai. And if you are in a place where you want to know how God can operate, if you want to know how God can give you a fresh start, if you want to know God's power to give new beginnings in the midst of our greatest messes, I want to invite you to meet me in the book of Haggai, chapter 2. And there is a Bible in a chair in front of you. It's a blue Bible. I believe we're on page 791 or 92, something like that. And we are going to take a look at these final verses. It's a lengthier text. But, man, I think it's a rich one that we are going to have a blast going through. So I want to invite you to turn there. And would you rise to your feet as you get there? I'm going to read verses 10 through 23 of Haggai chapter 2. I'm going to pray. And we're going to jump in to the deep end of this book here. Haggai chapter 2. Verses 10 to 23, and I say this every Sunday, but I might as well say it again. If you don't own a Bible and you see that blue one in front of you, please take that home. We want you to have God's word because he talks, man. He is speaking to us. And I know he's got a word for us this morning. This is what the Bible tells us in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. So thus says the Lord of hosts. Ask the priests about the law. Verse 12. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Well, then Haggai said, if someone is unclean by contact with a dead body, touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures... There was but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and to overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. And on that day, can you say on that day? 
On that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that what I'm sure at first reading seems very obscure to us is filled with so much truth and meaning. And God, uh, at first reading, it might not be clear, but Lord, I pray that we would come to see that you're a God who gives new beginnings. God, I pray that it would be very clear to us that you're not finished. God, for every man and woman who's here today, every one of our Brook youth who are gathered here today, I pray that they would hear your voice whisper in their ears that you can give them a fresh start. Father, for the one who has strayed far away and is trying to come back, may they, say that, may they see that you make a way. And for the one who is walking with you in joy, may they just marvel, God, that you are so relentless in your pursuit. God, help us understand, God. We know there are things that we are far removed from here. Help us understand. Fill in the gaps. Spirit, speak through me. And for all of us, give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see. We believe you, Lord. Have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take a seat, family. You know, when we read the, the Bible, there are times you come to passages, you're like, I don't know what this is talking about. And I think sometimes there's certain books of the Bible we just shy away from because we're like, I especially don't know what this one's talking about. And uh, there's a lot of books like that, especially in the Old Testament of the Bible. That's the first 39 books of the Bible. Because we are so culturally removed from that context. We're so removed by years. I mean, thousands of years ago this was written. And so, like, we are here in North America. That was in the Middle East. We're here in 2022. That was taking place in, like, 1000 B.C., we here speaking English to, in this congregation. They were speaking Hebrew or Aramaic, right? We, we have uh, technology, technological advancements that they didn't have. There are things going on in our world that really distance us from the biblical world at times. And so we can then see it sometimes and think it's not relevant to us. But that's not the right conclusion, family. The right conclusion is to say, I don't understand its relevancy, so I need that to be explained to me. And so as we come together here to conclude this book, I want to give us some context. Maybe you've been here the last couple weeks or one of the weeks. Maybe this is your first time in the last three weeks. I want, to, I want to kind of put this thing together. So some of this might seem a little repetitive from previous weeks, but I think it's important in order for us to really enjoy what God has for us. Y'all with me here? You know, as the worship team was singing, there was a part in one of the songs where um, they went to just a, almost a strictly real basic instrumental. And as we were singing a bridge... It began to build, and it came to this kind of climactic moment in a song. And I love the, the, the musicianship that's in that, even the vocalists who their parts came in. And, like, I'm not a musician. I don't even know this stuff normally. But as I work with, like, Josh and our worship team, I realize, like, man, there's, like, there's such an artistry in this. And what I love is, like, the, the Bible's like this. There, there are moments where it gets real basic, and then it just builds. It builds and comes to a climax. This is the climax here. So let's talk about the build. The book of Haggai was written by a guy named Haggai. He was a prophet of the Lord. 
And in chapter 1, verse 1, we see that God gives them a message to bring to the people of Israel in what is equivalent of our August 29th, about the year 520 B.C. And God sends this prophet to come to the people of Israel who are now in the city of Jerusalem. All right, They're in Jerusalem, but they had only been there for a few decades because before that they had been exiled in the land of Babylon because God was punishing them. God, God had told them, look, if you don't turn to me, I'm a good father and I'm going to come and discipline my children. And because you haven't listened to my small disciplines, I'm going to bring a big one. And I'm going to put you in Babylon in time out. And after 70 years of Babylon, I'm going to bring you back to my land. And there I want you to come back to me. And so now they're back in the land of Israel. It's been about 66 years since they were taken out of that land. And God had told the people, when you get back, get back to my work. Do what you're supposed to do. But they weren't doing that. They had started to rebuild a temple where God would be worshipped. But then they got discouraged. They got discouraged because there was people in the land who were giving them a hard time. They got discouraged because, uh, because they were looking around and things were just difficult. So what they began to do was prioritize their own comforts over God's will, started building their own houses, started paneling them with nice little inlays and, and making it all nice about it while God's temple was in ruins. And so Haggai comes with this message saying, hey, God told me to tell you all, is it time for you all to live in these nice cribs and God's house is in ruins? And basically saying, and so what God has done to get your attention is he's made life really difficult on you. You go out to get food from the field, and it's like you brought 40 measures, but when you get home, it's like you just got 20. You drink a cup of water, and you put a glass down, and you're still thirsty. You're making money. You put it in your wallet, and you open it up, and it's like disappears. It's like Houdini. And God's like, I've been doing all these things, but you never stop to ask, why are these things happening? And they started working harder and harder, trying to bring in more things, prioritizing their own ways, while God's plan was there in shambles. And God's like, I brought this to you because I want to get your attention. And so Haggai brings this message, and God's people are like, man, we didn't see it this way. We didn't realize that life was so difficult because we were pushing up against the grain. We were swimming upstream against the current. And God's like, look, just follow my will. So God's like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the hills, cut down some timber, come back down, and build my temple. And watch what I do when you do that. And so credit to God's people. Finally, they're like listening, like, all right, we're going to do it. They go, they start building a temple. God stirs their hearts up. So they're excited to follow the Lord, and it's a great thing. But then they get discouraged. They're looking at this temple being like, man. This is nothing like the previous one that got tore down by the Babylonians. This one's pretty weak. This one's not, not fancy. And God tells them, hey, look, I could do a lot with the little. All I want is your obedience. It's not about the building. I want your worship. And so that's what the book of Haggai is all about. And we come here to the end of the book. God has yet two more messages for his people. And we see in verse 10 there's one of them. And in verse 20, the other message. Now, God wants to make sure they understand the point of all of this. He wants, them to he wants to make sure that they understand that when they are not following God, life doesn't work out that, the right way. But when they are following God, that's when things are flowing like they ought to. 
And so he comes to them. It says on the 24th day of the ninth month, and the word of the Lord comes to Haggai the prophet. And Haggai's like, all right, I got a message for the priests. And this word is like really far removed from us. Look at what it says in verse 11. He says, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. And then he asked a similar question about unclean things. If someone's unclean and they touch someone else, does that thing become unclean? The answer is, well, yes. And so we're like, so what, right? Why are we talking about clean things and unclean things? This is that distance we got removed from, the, from the, the, this original writing. So let's talk about this right quick. See, God had set up laws for his people to follow. Laws that would help them understand what it meant to be clean before God and what it meant to be unclean. Some things were ceremonial, like ritual. Like, like you know, if you, if you touch certain things, that's just going to make you, your hands dirty. So it's unclean, so wash your hands. And so there was those kind of things. Then there were morally unclean things were just disobedience to God that made you, there was sin and there was rebellion against God. And so there was those, kind, those two kinds of unclean things. Some of those ritual things were like there's certain animals you can't eat, all right? You can eat a cow, but he's like, but don't eat a pig. And sometimes like that seems random, like no chuletas for you guys, Jewish people, right? God did away with that law, praise the Lord, and we're thankful for that. But there were certain animals, like, you just can't eat that animal. God had a reason for it. And there are some things you just shouldn't touch, like a dead body. Don't touch that. Um, things like bodily discharges. And there are also other kinds of things that if you touched or came into contact, it would make you ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And then there are things, like I said, there are moral things, like compromise and sin. And at first glance, like, this seems a bit arbitrary. You all with me on that? And I think it's important for us to understand why God set up rules like this. Well, first thing is, remember, he gave them this law while they're living in the wilderness, a million people deep living in tents. No bathrooms. No running water. No refrigeration. And yet people are living camped by each other. So what God did, he set up some of these laws to prevent the spread of disease. There are also some laws that God put up because, like, hey, the, the nations around you, they worship fake gods these ways, and I don't want you to do that, so I'm going to outlaw this kind of thing. And then also God's like, hey, and you're my people, and I want you to be set apart from everyone else. And so these were the laws that God had set up. And pause here for a moment, man. I praise God for Jesus, who has offered a way for us to be clean before God through faith in him. Like, we don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to uphold these real strict laws. We need to believe that he died on a cross for our sins, was our sacrifice, and he will cleanse us. And like we will then become positionally before God clean, forgiven. Man, praise the Lord for that. And he sets us apart. But the point he makes here is, look, if someone carries holy food and they brush up against something else, like bread or a person, does that thing become holy? And the priest is like, no, nah, you just brush up against it. Because this is what the point that God wanted his people to understand. Is that we need to connect with God by faith and not just be close to God in our place. If they say, like, hey, Jewish people, my people, listen. Just because you're close to me in proximity doesn't mean you've got a relationship with me. 
Just because it brought you back to Jerusalem and you're living like 100 feet from the temple where it once was, just because you're back in the land doesn't mean you're doing my will. And God wants them to understand that he wants them to have a relationship with him, to be connected with him. And you can't get connected with God by brushing up against his people or his things. You can't have a relationship with God by being close in proximity to things God is doing. I mean, this is an important word that he wants his people to understand. Because God's not about going through rituals. He wants that relationship with his people. And so, family, even as we read this, it seems like an arbitrary law. But God's like, look, don't be mistaken. Just because you're close to things that I do doesn't mean you're in my will. And so this is something we've got to understand. You know, you walk into a building and you have no cell phone connection and you go on your phone, you see there's a Wi-Fi signal. But you can't get online until you connect with the signal. But the wild thing is the Wi-Fi signal is literally all around you. In fact, in this room, we've got an upgraded Wi-Fi signal because our tech team pulled one together a few weeks ago. But many of you aren't connected to it. You're close to the signal but you're not connected to it. So are you on our Wi-Fi right now? No. Is it all around you? Yes. God's like, look, I'm here, I'm around you, but that don't mean you're connected to me. You don't connect to me on accident. You don't just graze past me and say, I've got a relationship with God. He's telling his people, you've got to come to me by faith. Come to me by faith. But there's a second lesson, because he says, now, what about the unclean things? If you have an unclean thing, like you, you touch something that was unclean, now you're unclean, and you touch something else, does that thing that you touch become unclean? And the priests are like, well, according to the law, yeah, that's what happens. It's like contact tracing, right? We're, like getting, we're all getting triggered here, like COVID-wise. <laughs> you know, they, they had a quarantine after being touched, like for real, though. And so God's like, all right, there's a lesson here. While you can't get right with me by just grazing past me, you do need to understand that when you're not clean, it affects everything you touch. So here's the second thing he wants us to understand. Is that life doesn't work when it's lived with God in the background and not at the center. Life doesn't work when we think that we can live on our own and if that's not going to affect other things. This is what he tells them here. Look, look it down in, in, verse, um, in verse 19. He says, Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranates and the olive tree have yielded nothing. He's saying, hey, let me remind you, when you were not walking in my will, things were not working out. Things weren't working out for you. Because anything you touched, it's as if it was, it was marred by the fact that you are not following me. God's people were close, but still so far, and everything they touched just didn't work out the way it was supposed to. God had become in some ways an afterthought in terms of their obedience. They had let discouragement get the best of them. They had let their own priorities take precedence, and so they began to drift. And how many of us know that drifting happens slowly? It reminds me in 2018, there was a story I've shared with you guys once before, but it's still so amazing to me. That there was a story of a mom and her seven-year-old son who were at the beach, and they were on one of those inflatable flamingos. 
And they were there sitting, talking in, in, the, in the ocean, when before they knew it, they had drifted from sea, from shore. But at this point, it was so deep, and they didn't know how to get back. And finally, they had drifted several miles from the seashore, gradually, and they became to a panic, and they needed to be rescued because of this slow drift. And God's letting his people know, like, hey, drifting happens like this. Rarely is it uh, sudden in a moment. Usually it's quite subtle. They started out strong. They wanted to do God's will and fell into doing their own thing. And when they started doing that, anything they touched wasn't working out. And God's like, how was that for you? And they know it wasn't good. And I think similarly, family, I think it's important for us to reflect on the ways that we can drift from God and then how that drifting will affect different areas of your lives. Don't expect yourself to drift from God and it not affect your relationships. It not to affect your joy. It not to affect your peace. And they understood this firsthand. And as I've seen several times in the book of Haggai, again, it almost feels like God is rubbing salt in the wound. Like, hey, I thought we're past chapter one already. God, why you got to bring it back up? And God wants them to really understand what's going on. And then he wants them to understand this third point that's important for us. Is that when we realign with, to God's priorities, we can align to God's promises. See, God says, now, remember then, when you were far from me, things weren't working out. But now that you're coming back, you're hearing my voice. You're hearing my promises. And then he gives them this beautiful encouragement at the end of verse 19. But from this day, I will bless you. When you turn to me, I'm going to bless you now. You're going to be able to enjoy my promises. And he tells them this, like basically he's saying this. Hey, it's December. That's the time of the writing here. And when, when you sow seeds in the fall, in the harvest time to come, I'm going to give you a great return in your fruit, in your produce. And I'm telling you that now. Before it happens, because I want you to understand that it happens only because you've turned back to me. I want you to make, I want it to be so clear to you that even before you put seed in the ground, that I'm promising to bless you. Because God wants us to understand when we align ourselves, when we realign to God's priorities, we can align with God's promises. And so God makes this message extremely clear to his people. Reminding them where they came from and reminding them what he's going to do as they follow him. But this is all the buildup to this story. Because they began to build this temple. And at this point, they've only been at it for several months. So it's not like they've got this structure in place. I mean, remember, they, they don't have cranes. They don't have uh, technological um, tools to help them in this. I mean, they got to literally pick up stone by stone. And Erica and I, when we were in Israel several years ago, we saw some of these stones that were used for the temple, like stones like this. And they're enormous. I mean, there's no way ten people could lift them up. And so the way they would have to do this is through some real complex systems. It wasn't going to be a quick project. And so as they're building, God is talking to them, trying to encourage them, reminding them, be faithful, stay with it. But as we saw earlier... It's not so much about the building, but it's about their worship that God wanted. And even so, as we come to the final three verses of this book, more than even the worship is the fact that God is a God who wants to keep his promises. 
And in keeping his promises, he's offering to his rebellious people a new beginning through faith. See, he gave them a message in verse 10. And in verse 20, we see the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Twice God spoke to Haggai on the same day. But this time the message is not for all the people. But who is it for in verse 21? He says, speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. God has a message for this one leader now. It's just for Zerubbabel. Now, let me give you some backdrop for Zerubbabel. He is the governor of the land here. His name means seed of Babylon, which means he was probably born while they're in captivity. And now he's back here trying to lead the people, obeying Haggai. And God's like, all right, I've got one last message for that man. Because no doubt the people of God have begun to grow weary like you and I do when life is difficult. See, the land that was promised to Abraham they lived in now was a hot mess. The temple was barely beginning, beginning to be rebuilt. But then a third thing was missing in the land that we've kind of glazed over the last several weeks. There was no king. There was no king in the land. Why is that a big deal, family? Because God had promised his people that he would raise up a king from David's family line who would reign over his people and bring them rescue. And now they're here rebuilding a temple, but there's still no king. And God says, hey, Zerubbabel, I want to give a message to you. He says, I'm about, in verse 21, to shake the heavens and the earth, to overthrow thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down. Every one by the sword of his brother. God's like, I'm about to bring an end to many nations. And then verse 23 says, on that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. What God is saying to Zerubbabel, hey, you're the governor of the land. I got a message for you. I'm about to bring an end to nations. And I've chosen you, Zerubbabel. Well, chosen him for what? God says, I made you like a signet ring. And it's like, a signet ring for what? What does this all mean? What God's about to tell Zerubbabel is that new beginnings are on their way. Uh, let, let me unpack this for you all. Zerubbabel is mentioned seven times in this book. Five times it's mentioned that he is the son of a man named Shealtiel, right? You're like, again, who cares? Well, when we read our Bible, we see Shealtiel's dad is a guy named Jeconiah. Like, who cares? <laughs> Jeconiah's prefixed name or title is King Jeconiah. You see, Zerubbabel's great I'm sorry, Zerubbabel's grandfather was the second to last king in Judah. In fact, his granddaddy was the one who was on the throne when Babylon came and destroyed them. His grandpa was taken into captivity when Israel was destroyed. That's the legacy that was handed down to Zerubbabel. That's the legacy that followed him like a shadow. That's what was going with him. And we learned this about Jeconiah. Uh, it says, when he was 18 years old, he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Grandpa was not only a failing king, but he was a wicked king. And this is what's told about this Jeconiah, nicknamed Coniah in Jeremiah chapter 22. They had nicknames in the Bible, right? This is what Jeremiah says of this man. God says this, As I live, declares the Lord, through Kaniah, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, I would tear him off. Let's talk about this idea of a signet ring. A signet ring was a ring that kings wore that had their emblem stamped on top of it. So if they made a letter, they put the wax seal on it, they would stamp it with their signet ring. So it was official business of the king. There was no greater sign of authority that belonged to anybody than the signet ring of a king. And God says about Zerubbabel's grandpa, though he were like a signet ring, I'm going to tear him off. I'm done with them. I'm sending them off into captivity. And God's people thought, not only is he done with Jeconiah and the king, but he's done with his promise to David that one would reign in his, on this throne. The people of God, family, stay with me here, began to wonder if God would still redeem them ultimately. He was done with the kings, and now they're in Israel with no king. And where was there going to be hope for them? And this is why God speaks to Zerubbabel. He calls him my servant in verse 23. Son of Shealtiel declares the Lord. He says, I will make you like a signet ring. He's saying, Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a ring in my hand this time. Because I am the king of kings. And I am the God who keeps my promises. And the very fact of your existence is proof that I'm going to come through and still deliver my people. Zerubbabel, you are a visible sign that I'm not done yet. You are my plate. Don't take it. I am the God who's in charge. I get the last word, and no matter how bad my people got, I will hold you, Zerubbabel, as my signet ring because I will put my stamp on this word. And there is Zerubbabel, a man who had a horrible legacy handed down to him. God says, I'm still going to use you. Look, this is a side note, family, but I know some of you all have some legacies that were handed to you. Some of you have some histories that came to you that you had nothing to do with. And you feel like those things follow you around like a shadow. Some of us have made choices in our past and we feel like they hang over our head like a life fixture. And God's like, look, I can bring new beginnings. Nothing's going to stop my will. No one's going to stop my promises. And Zerubbabel is a sign of the fact that God does this kind of thing. God, that I've chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I love it how the book of Haggai ends with this title of God, the Lord of hosts. That was the favorite term that Haggai loved to call God, the Lord of hosts. Which means that he is the God who owns the hosts of heaven, the angelic beings. Everything is in God's power. The angelic armies, nature, people, promises. God holds it all in his hands. And he ends Haggai reminding his people that he's in control. But this is pretty wild, family. Because if we look at Zerubbabel, he's mentioned a couple times in the book of Zechariah. But in terms of history... He pretty much falls off the map. 
far as we know, he never became king. In fact, there was no other king to reign in Jerusalem at that point. So people have looked at this prophecy and thought, well, God didn't fulfill it, but at least it motivated them to build the temple. But as we see here, verse 23, God says, on that day. You see, that's code name for in the day of the Lord, when God shows up to fulfill his promises. And I believe what God is saying here is like, don't get too narrow-minded here. I told you already, this is not about a temple. You see, in the year 70 A.D., this very temple that they built and were so excited about, the Roman soldiers come into Jerusalem and they destroy it. They destroy it. Will God be worshipped then? The temple gone? You see, what God wants them to understand, he wants you and I to understand that in him making new beginnings, it's more than about physical spaces like this. See, God gave a promise to Zerubbabel. And we need to understand something. Zerubbabel became a dad, and his son's name was Abiud. Who cares, right? Well, Abiud became a dad, and his son's Eliakim. According to Matthew 1, verse 12 and following, Eliakim had a son named Atzor, who had a son named Zadok, who had a son named Akim, who had a son named Eliud, who had a son named Eliezer, who had a son named Mathan, who had a son named Jacob. And Jacob became the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. What God has told Zerubbabel family is that I'm going to make you a ring of affirming my promises. And though my promises might be delayed, they're not betrayed. Though I might take my time, doesn't mean I'm not going to make them fulfilled. Zerubbabel is not about you or your kid, or your kid's kid, but it's about a great, great, great grandson of yours named Jesus, who is God in human flesh, who would walk in this temple, God would dwell in it. But you know, the disciples came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, isn't this temple beautiful? You know what Jesus tells them? It's all coming down in a few years. And the Jewish leaders are like, how dare you say that? Jesus says, tear down this temple, and I'm going to raise it up in three days. And suddenly, Jesus is like, you're on a different wavelength right now. If you're reading this prophecy too literally, you're missing out what God is trying to do. Because when Jesus saw the woman at the well in John 4, she's like, you know, do we worship him at this temple? Do we worship him at this mountain? And Jesus is like, you're getting it wrong. It's not about the where. It's about the what. It's about where your heart is. You see, Jesus says, destroy this temple. He's not talking about the building, but his own body. And he says, when I die on the cross for your sins, I'm going to make a way for you to get new beginnings. I'm going to make a way for you to get forgiven. Because on that cross, I took your sin. I'm going to take your shame. And when I raise from the dead, I'm going to tear this curtain down that separates God and man. And I'm going to give access to people, access to God. This is what Jesus did. And so now, Jesus is like, it's not about Worshiping them in a building, it's about you being that building for worship. Because what does Paul say? You are temples of the Holy Spirit. You will be one who worships God through faith in Jesus. That's what, that's what Haggai is saying to Zerubbabel. And that's why God can say, I'm a God who keeps my promises, and I'm a God of new beginnings. Family. Family. 
We can't get right with God by brushing up against his presence. We need to believe upon Jesus. We know that when we're straying from God, it affects every area of our lives. But God's like, look, I'm providing a way to get right with me. And it's through Zerubbabel's grandson, who is God in human flesh, Jesus the Christ. And you may come today with all kinds of shadows following you from your failures. And I need you to know that Jesus offers forgiveness. He is the king that comes from David's line who will reign forever and ever and ever. And he wants to reign over your heart today. Maybe you are a child of God today and you found yourself drifting from shore and God is pulling you back. Just raise your white flag, family. That's how good our God is. You don't got to jump through hoops. You, you, don't, you don't have to do gym, spiritual gymnastics to get right with God. You come surrendered, heart bowed, saying, God, forgive me. Jesus, thank you for going to that cross for me. Thank you for dying for my sins and raising for the dead, from the dead for me. And then he gives us forgiveness and new life. If you've never done that, let today be that day where you experience God's forgiveness and become adopted in God's family through faith in Jesus. He indeed makes a way, family. And he's a God of new beginnings. And so don't you take the plate out of God's hand because he's going to tell you, I'm not done yet. Stay with me and follow me. Let's pray, family. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for the way that you are a promise-keeping God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that there is nothing we can do that could separate us too far from your grace. We can't outrun you, God. Father, I, I lift up anyone who's here today or streaming online who feels like they have just gone too far. God, remind them. Remind them that you are still near. God, I pray that they would come to you, God, with repentance, with a surrender, asking your forgiveness. I pray that they would enjoy what it means to be forgiven. Father, I lift up your child who's here today, that son of yours, that daughter of yours. God, remind them of your promises. Reaffirm them of their identity. God, remind them, Lord, that you're not done with them. Renew their faith, I pray. And so, Lord, no matter where we're at today, I pray that you would meet us, Lord. Remind us, God, that you've done it once, you'll do it again, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.